Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's fine. Today. Does that sound right? Today? That reading of today? Yeah, it's exactly how it's pronounced. Okay. Today, we are interviewing a woman who is very important. She's a very, very smart woman. She's, um... This episode is on... Ah, f*** it. I'm gonna own up. I forgot who we're interviewing today. Are you serious? I have a feeling it's not Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You tried her, right, Carolina? I, Did yeah, you try her? we tried Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but her business manager said, um, this is weird. She said you two had a falling out. Oh. I was, so, I was confused. She said you two were no longer on speaking terms. You heard that right. For two whole years, if you, if you came to the Saddle Creek Diner on a Monday morning, you'd see me and baby Ruth in a corner eating breakfast and talking shop. You're talking shop? You wouldn't with... understand it, Carolina, okay? It's law stuff, all right? I Did you understand it? Not really. Okay. But I let her talk, and boy, can she talk. Uh, she can talk you through the Saddle Creek's Lumberjack special, four sausage links, and two pancake piles later, she's still going on. And I'm sorry to ask, yes. but why did you guys stop hanging out? Um, I would say scheduling conflicts. Okay. Well, I mean, after we had a huge fight, she said that she couldn't see me anymore. So that was our scheduling conflict. Oh, got it. So it was... Yeah. It was but if I saw her today, I feel like bygones would be bygones. So exactly how did you guys leave it? Word for word? Yeah. 
Well, if memory serves, she said something like, if you start a food fight in this diner, I will never speak to you again. And you started a food fight in the diner? Yes. Okay. We we did. Or I did. Who can remember the specifics anymore? It's, it's hard to have a food fight when you're the only one throwing food. Mm. You know? Yeah. That's Feels good. like you're the asshole in that situation. Sure. But to get people to join, you have to just throw more food. I mean, omelets, jellos, a cup full of ice. I mean, nothing was getting this crowd going. Uh, how old do you think most of the How people, old were... The most of the people in the diner? Oh, I mean, everyone was in their early to late 70s, except for one grandkid. Yeah, so that's probably not the best participants for a food fight. You know what I mean? Ruth knows that I'm here if she ever wants to rekindle our friendship. I'm, I'm available for breakfast, literally, every morning. Well, actually, we record the podcast in the morning. Any so. morning works. Okay. There is literally nothing going on in my life right now that I would prioritize over breakfast. Yeah, maybe work. So. Huh. Just want to let that lie. Yeah, I mean. Out there. This is really important to me, and I put a lot of effort into it. Now, after a quick commercial break, we'll have Ariana Grande in the studio. I mean, her music in the studio. We'll have music reviews with Ariana Grande in the building. Her music, not her physical or spiritual being. Okay. So stay tuned next to meet Ariana Grande. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
oldest girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Time for music reviews. This is our music review segment Yes, that Ron introduced to me 20 minutes ago. That I crafted myself. Ariana Grande is just dropping deuces left and right. I'm sorry. I don't know if you meant what is what is what are you trying to say? I mean, dropping hit, hit after hit. Okay. I mean, thank you. Next, thank you. Next. I'm familiar with the song. It's as if she's inside my brain when I'm eating Munchkin donuts from Dunkin's. Thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. I say that after I eat a Munchkin. Oh, like thank you to that Munchkin. Yes, and then next on to the next Munchkin. I identify with Ariana. How so? How do you identify? The world wants a piece of us. I can't leave my house without someone, you know, hounding me about my love life. So it's very similar. You can't leave the house? What? Yes. What, like, do you think you have paparazzi following you? Yeah, I do. Well, just one person. This crazy guy who lives on my street. He's oh. harmless. He just asks me questions all the time. Sometimes he, he takes a shit in my car if I leave it unlocked. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let's take a listen to Thank You Next. percent not the song we were talking about and you crafted this music segment yourself. you know what i'm not going to uh, disagree with you all right i've been listening to that song thinking it was ariana grande's thank you next oh but you love it i well i love ariana grande number one yeah i love thank you next uh-huh. even though i'm not familiar with it and i love the song we just played so i love all three this music segment is maybe a disaster not- I was no. going to say maybe not I knew a you were going to say that. But I love your participation for the first time. Thank you. In our review segments. Well, I think that's the end of our music review. But up next, we have a woman who, like Ariana, takes no baloney. Be right back, listeners. And thank you. Next. Thank you, next, I mean. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox, 
you can't go around it. So you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Ron Burgundy podcast. We are joined today by the highly esteemed Doris Kearns. Goodwin. She is a Pulitzer Prize winner and one of the country's top scholars on American presidents. And uh, 
honestly, we, we only got her for an interview because we lied and said this was NPR. Um, <laughs> well, so, so anyway, immoral. Anyway, um, Doris Kearns Goodwin, thank you for joining us. Well, Ron, my old friend, it, it's hard for me to believe that it's now six years since you told the world in your best-selling book how I had helped you with the chapter on history. Remember? Absolutely. And you said while we were presumably in the middle of having an affair. And so all of a sudden then I've been stopped on the street in an airport by thousands of your fans who are thrilled to hear what you said, which is that you claim that my enthusiasm for the work was only outpaced by my enthusiasm for lovemaking, which you could barely equal. So it's, here we are yes, at last. Here we are finally <laughs> talking about it. And I'm glad, I mean, we, for those of you listening, it's, it's obviously no secret. We had a torrid love affair. Um, which, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, um, but those were some of the best seven months of my life. And uh, well, and I'm sorry for the way it ended. I, I really am. How did it end? Well, well we, he, he never said. He just said that, you know, if, if I were willing to come back, I could come back any time. So it's still a mystery, I suppose, to both of us. The, you the know, irony it's just is, one of those things you can never figure out. And Doris, I, uh, now that we have this moment, I was actually going to ask you to marry me. Oh my God! Um, I had a list, oh my God! Yeah, I had a list of five women, and uh, you were at the top of my list. Well, I'm proud to know that, and that'll make it a little easier to bounce back, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, it's gosh, been my so family still loves you. My family still asks about you all the time. They're like, and, "How and, did and, you and, let and, Doris get away?" <laughs> well, here I am. So this is the beginning again. Do you remember anyway, when you? I'm... Do you remember when you cut up all my ties when we broke up? <laughs> well, you know what? The other thing I remember, I don't remember that, but some things oh. I might do in anger that I put out of my mind because I'm such a nice person in my mind. Yes. But the other comment that you had was that my my teeth were as sharp as my intellect. So that's a pretty scary thought, whatever that was. Well, you did you did have a tiger lady tattooed on your right shoulder, if I recall. I don't know if you had that removed or not. No, clearly. I mean, you know, when I got married and had my children, yes. you know, this, you know, I had to be a, a and I'm a presidential historian, for God's sakes. I can't have those things on it, my shoulders there's anymore. There's no question. Because you might tell. I, I, well, I've already well, told. Well, you just have. Yeah, I already have. It's already <laughs> out there. Um, Doris, I have to ask. So you, you've won a Pulitzer. What, an, what a crazy thing. What's, what's that cash like? When you win a well, it, it's not what you may imagine because I won it in 1995, and I think then it was three thousand dollars. So oh, that's nothing. You know, that's chump change. Not a, well, it certainly won't buy something big, but you know what it does get most importantly. What's that? It gets you your first line in your obituary. Oh. So that's probably oh. pretty priceless. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that over. 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, maybe a lot more even. It's because pretty, inc pretty incredible. I think a lot of people have the impression that that's, that's big cash money, like you go out and you buy a Lamborghini or an yeah. exotic bird or something. That's I, not I don't the case. That's <laughs> what you would buy with your first big check? Oh, if I, if I ever, yes. Like, you know, if I, if I signed a big contract like one of those NBA players, yeah. I would, I'd buy an exotic bird. What about your debt? Well, you wouldn't pay that off? Well, I wouldn't pay that. No. Okay. No. Well, now you know him, right, Caroline? <laughs> so, I do. But you know, the, the weird thing is that the very year I won the Pulitzer, speaking of exotic birds, yes. I, I grew up in Rockville Center, Long Island, uh -huh. and there was a string of robberies of exotic birds in various oh, pet stores, including okay. one in Rockville Center that year 
where a cockadoo or some crazy exotic bird was worth $2,500 was stolen. So maybe I was involved in that too, somehow. (laughs) That's worth all your Pulitzer money, right? I know, I know. So it's, it's just a crazy coincidence. But no, I don't think I'd get an exotic bird or a Lamborghini. Okay, well. Something to think about. But we're different. We always were different. We always were. Yang and yang. (laughs) Yang and yang. Um, Now, so you, of course, you won the Pulitzer for a book on on FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt during World War II. What, if if you can recall, in your opinion, what's the cutest thing they ever did for each other as a couple? Well, I'm not sure cute would be the word, but what I think is the best thing they did for each other was she was, FDR liked to say, a welcome thorn in his side. She was always willing to question his assumptions. Much like our relationship. Exactly. She was always willing to argue with him. And as a result, she made him a better person. I mean, for example, during World War II, she sent so many memos to General Marshall in the War Department about discrimination in the Army that he had to assign a separate general whose only task was to deal with Eleanor Roosevelt's memos. (laughs) And she she had, oh, you'll love this. She had weekly press conferences where the only rule was that only female reporters could come to her press conferences. So all over the country, stuffy publishers had to hire their first female reporter. An entire generation got their start because of Eleanor Roosevelt. So um, that relationship was huge. What were the numbers in that female press pool at that time, would you say? That is a question I don't know. But I would bet, I would bet we're talking 20, 30, maybe. I don't know. You know, I will come back and tell you this. See, this is why you're so challenging. Well, you ask me questions. I don't know the answer. to. I might have known it in 1995, but I don't think I've ever <laughs> known it. <laughs> OK, well, then Ron's had a contentious history with female reporters. So oh, this is very oh. progressive. You've grown a lot. I've grown a lot. I've learned that that many of the female reporters are our finest reporters. That's wow. what I've learned. Yes. You're a quick study. It only took 30 years. A quick 30 years. Exactly. No, but it's pretty exciting. I meet people sometimes and they'll say their mother or their grandmother, that was their first job and they became a journalist. And it's all because of Eleanor. Yeah, she was a pain in the neck. You know, she would bring people to his dinner party sometimes who she wanted him to talk to who are maybe more liberal or doing more radical things than he wanted. And she'd plunk them down beside him. You know, at times he was thinking, oh, no, I just want to relax because she never really relaxed. He loved his cocktails at night, and he she loved, would come exactly. in to didn't, talk cocktails. Didn't he have a a set cocktail hour at like five p.m. even it even even during the war? It was his one his hour to unplug. Is that correct? Not only you're absolutely right. You see, see you do I know, know things, Carolina. I yeah. know things. Yes, Carolina. He's so right. Ron needs so, a, just a quick recap of uh, feminist history. He told me the other day that he hopes one day I win the right to vote. <laughs> And you said, I said, I've been doing that for years. And I said, good for you. (laughs) You're ahead of the curve. But he knows about, he knows about the cocktail hour. I mean, the great thing was that FDR's cocktail hour, there was a rule that you could not talk about the war. Okay. You could gossip, you could talk about politics. And it was so important to him to have that relaxing cocktail It was such a a heavy, terrible time. They had to, they had to decompress at some level. Absolutely. And because he wanted his favorite regulars to be at the cocktail party, he actually wanted them to live in the White House to be ready for the cocktail oh, wow. hour. So the second floor of the White House becomes the most exclusive residential hotel you can possibly imagine. All the cocktail guys are living there, wow. living there during World War II. So it was pretty cool. I got to go back 
and stay in the room where Winston Churchill had lived during World War II. When Hillary Clinton was there, she heard me talking about how I wished I knew where everyone had lived during World War II. So she invited my husband and me to a sleepover in the White House. And I figured out that, yes, Chelsea Clinton was sleeping where Harry Hopkins, his foreign policy advisor, FDR's was. The FDR's people were, not his people, FDR was sleeping in the room that Clinton's later slept in. And we were in Winston Churchill's bedroom. So I was sure he was in the corner drinking his brandy and smoking his cigar. Churchill enjoyed a a stiff drink, I'm sure. Uh, More than one. He was great. FDR, his drink of choice, I'm going to guess slow gin fizz. Well, he had his own sort of weird concoction of a martini that he would make. Oh, so he, was a, he was a mixologist of, of sorts. He, he, he had a special mixture, and he Way loved making it. Way ahead of these it. lame hipsters who call themselves. Okay. He was always a visionary, always a visionary. I want to punch those guys in the face. <laughs> and Sorry. you might do it someday. <laughs> Sorry, we're getting off track. <laughs> okay, keep going. Um, Doris, you're also considered a sports journalist of sorts. You, know, you, were, you were a Brooklyn Dodgers fan growing up, I heard. Why baseball? What's interesting about it? Just the good-looking guys? No, it's not really just the hunks. I mean, they're not so hunky, many of them. No, it's got much deeper roots. My father loved baseball. I was the third girl in the family. Right. He taught me when I was you were five, the six years old. I was. He yes. taught me how to keep score so that he would come home from work in Brooklyn during the day, and I could record for him the history of that afternoon's Brooklyn Dodger game. So when your father listens to you for, you know— play by play, inning by inning, and he thinks, and he makes you think he's telling you a fat, I'm telling him a fabulous story. It makes you think something's magic about history. It's where my love of history came from. Hmm. In fact, I'm convinced I learned how to tell a story from those nightly sessions with my father, because at first I'd be so excited, I would blurt out the Dodgers won or the Dodgers (laughs) lost, which took much of the drama of this long telling away. So I learned you had to tell a story from beginning to middle to end. And then, of course, the Dodgers abandoned us and went to Los I was, Angeles. I was just going to say, when they left, were, were you able to, to still, you know, uh, pull for them or did it did it just break oh, your no. heart? No, it broke. I mean, well, I used to send letters to Walter O'Malley, the owner. We used to we used to have petitions against him when I was a little girl. But then finally, I went to Harvard and I went to Fenway Park right. and a park so reminiscent of Ebbets Field became an equally irrational Red Sox fan. And we've had season tickets for more than 35 years. So baseball's huge part of my life. I wake up thinking about them in the morning when they lose. I, I don't even want to read the newspapers. It's, it's unhealthy, but it's a happy unhealthiness. I went to, I went to Fenway Park one time. I bought it. I was so excited to go there and I sat behind a pole. The guy sold me a ticket that was behind a pole. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem when you go to an old stadium, but it's got charm, right? And it does power. have charm. And I, I really studied the layers of paint on that and the rust. I bet. Um, you could, I bet you, didn't you engrave something on it that Ron was there? I don't know how I'm going to say this, but I, I carved a little heart that said <laughs> RB plus DKG. I, 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 this is it now, finally. So I'm going to have to go find it. You'll have to it. go Next back and find go, it. It's in the right field pavilion. You'll see this pavilion. woman, tr- tr- right field, you got it. Yes. So, Doris, let me ask you, are you are, how are you feeling about the current takedown of democracy? Good or bad? Plus or minus? <laughs> Definitely bad. I mean, I think it's a really rough time for our country right now. But as an historian, I feel like um, things are going great. No, but maybe I'm don't. just living in a bubble. Well, it's a. Re- what about you, Carolina? Do you think things are going great? Oh no, I think things are going terribly. Okay, you're with me then. Well, but the thing is, 
what I can say that makes us feel better, I hope, is that history provides a perspective because people will sometimes come up to me in the airport and say, are these the worst of times? And I can honestly say, of course not, and talk about what it was like for Abraham Lincoln when he first went into office and um, the country is about to split in two. In fact, it's already splitting up and 600,000 people are going to die in a civil war right. or what it was like for FDR when he comes in and the depression is at its height and the banks have collapsed and you can't even get your money out of the banks. And yet somehow we came through those times. And, and, and the great thing that I think gives us hope right now about the difficulty of democracy here is that what Lincoln said when he was called a liberator, he said, don't call me that. And it was after the Emancipation Proclamation. He said, it was the anti-slavery people that did it all. It's always the citizen movements that make things better. So it was the anti-slavery movement during the 19th century. It was the progressive movement at the turn of the 20th century that made it possible for Teddy Roosevelt and FDR to do what they did. Civil rights movement made it possible for LBJ, women's movement, environmental movement. And now we need a movement for political reform. And I think we saw in the midterms more people voted than before. More women came into office than in a long time. More veterans. Sure. That's really important. You know, in, in the 1960s and 70s, three out of four congressmen and senators were veterans. They'd been in World War II and the Korean War. They knew how to go across party lines. They knew to, you know, somehow put a purpose beyond partisan or regional or racial divisions. And now we've got to get back to that. But I think there's there's a, an impulse in the country. The citizens are more active in politics than they've been for a while. So that's my optimism about the country. We're not as fragile as, as people think we are, this democracy. Is it true that Babe Ruth ate 30 hot dogs uh, in the dugout during a Yankee think, game? Was that your next question? Well, I'm just going to my next question. Okay, because she just said a lot what? of really inspiring, really amazing oh, stuff. I it was Oh, I didn't, hear, I didn't hear it. I just wrote down my you, Babe Ruth question. Yeah, he's skipping back from baseball. You know, that was the question before, which is fine. No, it just popped in my head. I'm like, I got it. You know what? I've always wondered if that's just a myth. Did Babe Ruth eat all those hot dogs in the dugout? I think, you know, I think the stories about some of these larger than life figures, they usually have some reality. So whether it was 30 or 25 or 20, he was a big eater. He was that a big, is for okay. sure. That, that we know. We can say right. that as an We just look at his body and you'll know that. So probably eight thirty hot dogs. I'm gonna write. Yes, I would put that down when you tell down. the next person. You are a Harvard grad, and you taught there. Um, uh, for those listeners, that's Harvard University. In uh, where is that located? <laughs> Pittsburgh. No. Yeah, no. yeah. You know, no, a little east of Pittsburgh. Let me ask you this: I, Maybe you're not at liberty to say. Are you? Are you sick of all the know-it-alls? The running around that place. Well, you know what? I mean, I think to some extent, the whole idea that people have that just because you went to Harvard, you're smarter than other people is nuts. Yeah. I look at lots of Thank young you. people who just feel like if I don't go there and um, want to get there, my I'm life be will be failure. different. Exactly. It's, 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 it's a school. It's a good school. I remember when I was working for Lyndon Johnson and I was helping him on his memoirs and I was living for a while at the ranch and he would, oh, I was 24 years old and he would always call me Harvard. He'd say, Hey, Harvard, Come over here. I've got a question for you. That's but kind the, of a cute best, nickname. But yeah, it was fine. And he didn't really like the Harvards. He figured oh, okay. they wouldn't deal well with him. But it, he was fine with me. But I'll never forget one time he he wanted me to go in this car that he had near his lake, Lake LBJ. And right before we took off in the car. That's modest the, that he named yeah, his lake, lake LBJ, after of himself. Yes, of course. 
So he, he, the Secret Service say to him, be careful, the brakes aren't so great. We didn't check them. And we're going down a hill toward the lake. And all of a sudden, the car goes into the water. And oh I wasn't afraid somehow. Oh. I just figured I'm here with the president. It's going right. to be fine. And of course, it was an amphibious car. So it suddenly starts floating in the water. But I didn't scream. And so he says to me, what's wrong with you, Harvard? Don't you Harvard people know enough to get scared when something's <laughs> scary? So he was mad at me because I hadn't screamed. You, but I somehow... Oh, so he, he really wanted to president. freak you out with his amphibious car. Oh, he did this to a yeah. lot of people. This was part, in fact, when, when Brian Cranston played LBJ in sure. this wonderful play and movie all the way, I had told him about this story of the amphibious car. So they have a scene in the HBO movie where he takes Hubert Humphrey, his vice president, in the car, and they go in the water, and you see Hubert Humphrey with his suit on in the water floating with his amphibious car, which is on display now at the ranch. Oh, oh wow. Gosh, if I won a Pulitzer, I'd buy that amphibious car. Hey, maybe now we've figured out the answer. You really? You know, not the cockadoo. No, it'd be, I'd go all in on LBJ's amphibious car. You have collection agencies after you. Why don't you just pay off what you owe? We'll get to that later. Okay. Um, but I think that's fascinating. He, the, the, President Johnson, he, he hired you even though you were actively against the Vietnam War. Was that, did that create friction there? It did, but it was a wonderful thing in a certain sense that he was able to do that. What happened is I was chosen while I was a graduate student at Harvard as a White House fellow. It's a fabulous program. It still exists today. Vietnam Colin War, was a White by the House way, fellow. for those who aren't familiar with the Vietnam War, uh, oh, yes, I believe we, we, won. we won that war. No, no, no. no Didn't no, we? No, no, no. <laughs> no. It was Carolina, oh, okay. you have to deal with him. You have to deal with him We're <laughs> as you do. It, yeah. okay. I understand. So that so was a anyway, we'll call it what a happens is I get chosen as a White House fellow. We have a big dance at the White House. Right. He does dance with me, but it's not that weird because not there's only three women. At, yeah. No, not that. Well, yeah. sort of like, you know, Texas, you know, you go toward the floor and you come up. But there were only three women out of the 16 White House fellows. So it wasn't weird that he asked me to dance. But while we danced, he whispered that he wanted me to be assigned directly to him in the White House instead of to another cabinet officer. So that all seemed fine. But then a right. few days later, a friend of mine and I previously very much involved in the anti-war movement had written an article against LBJ, which we'd sent to the New Republic, but heard nothing. And it suddenly appeared right after the dance with the title, How to Remove LBJ from Power. <laughs> so I was certain he would kick me out of the program. But oh, instead, sure. surprisingly, he said, oh, bring her down here for a year. And if I can't win her over, no one can. So I did eventually end up working for him in the White House and then accompanied him to his ranch to help him on his memoirs. You know, never fully understanding why he had chosen me to spend so many hours with. I, I like to believe it was because I was a good listener and he was a great storyteller. Fabulous. He must have been, yes. Fabulous stories. I mean, there was a problem with these stories that you might understand that half of them aren't true, but they were great nonetheless. Yeah. And I loved listening to them. Um, but also I worried that part of it was that I was then a young woman and he had somewhat of a minor league womanizing reputation. So uh -uh. I was constantly chattering to him about steady boyfriends, even when I had no boyfriends and everything was perfect. Until one day he said he wanted to discuss our relationship and he took me to a, a picnic on the lake, you know, with red check tablecloth. In the amphibious wine. vehicle? No, no, this oh, was okay. just in his normal car. Okay. We didn't get into that one. But while we're, we, we seem to be at the lake a lot in these stories. Anyway, he started out with all these romantic trappings around him saying, Doris, more than any other woman I have ever known, and my heart sank. And then he said, you remind me of my mother. It was pretty embarrassing given what was going on in my, oh my mind. Oh, goodness. That happens to me a lot. Does what well, with, Carolina with, with gets Ron that a lot. too? 
<laughs> well, actually, Ron took me to a picnic once, and I was really concerned that I was going to get hit on, but then he just tried to I fire just, me. No, I said, you remind me of my grandmother. Yeah. Yes. You said she was a real wench. She was a real piece of work. So, what yeah. fun for you two to be together. It sounds yeah. good no, to we me have to a great go time. back and well, forth. I can hear it. I am Carolina's LBJ to her Doris Kearns Goodwin. Sometimes. I In fact, I think you should call me LBJ from now on. Okay, that's going to be confusing, but... It might. We'll table that for now. I You'll would... still be Ron for a little while longer. I'll anyway. still be Ron. Exactly. Maybe forever. Uh... I think it's impressive, though, that President Johnson, despite your political stance, he was still welcoming uh, because he thought you were a smart cookie. Yeah, no, I, you know, I don't know how much of it had to do with the fact that I was a young woman, how much of it had to do with the fact that I was from that Harvard place. Yeah. And he always knew the history might be written by the Harvards. But it turned out to be the uh, formative relationship in my life, because that's what really made me a presidential historian, mm -hmm. because I wrote my first book on him. And then after that comes the Kennedys. After that comes FDR and then Lincoln and then Teddy and Taft. I mean, I've spent all these years, as I say, living with these dead presidents, my only fear is is that in the afterlife, there's going to be a panel of all of them. Oh, and, and they're going to judge gonna you. Tell me yes. everything I got wrong, right? Or I missed about them. And then the only fear I have after I, I've not answered their questions or that I haven't told them the right thing is the first person to scream will be LBJ. Sure. You know, how come that damn book on the Roosevelt's was twice as long as the book you wrote about me? So this afterlife may not be as much fun as it's been, but it's been great fun to study dead presidents my whole life. I wouldn't change it for anything. I catapult back into another time era. I can learn about what it was like to live, you know, in the 19th century, in the no 20th question. century. It's great. When, when is your Millard Fillmore book coming out? Oh, that, how did you know that's next? He's my favorite character because of his name, Millard, Millard Fillmore. Fillmore. Nobody has Think a better name. Think about that. He couldn't be no, elected but... now with a name like Millard <laughs> Fillmore. No. I, it, well, I guess you'd call him Millie, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Mill? He, he interests historians only because of his name. Right. But I think I, I have to really care about the person. That's why I don't know who I'm doing next. And I like them to write diaries and and keep letters so that you can really go back into their emotional lives. And any of our present day presidents don't do this. Here's the problem. In the afterlife, Millard Fillmore is going to be like, why didn't you write a book about me? Yeah, there'll be a lot of them up there. Or maybe they'll be glad I didn't write about them. But no, that's not true because I never choose somebody that I don't want to live with over a period of time. I could never write about Mussolini or Hitler right. or, you know, one of the bad or Buchanan, one of those crazy bad presidents. So I just want to wake up with them in the morning, think about them when I go to bed at night and they're going to make mistakes like everybody does. I'll be mad and disappointed at them. Basically, I'll respect and feel enormous affection, especially toward Lincoln. I mean, he's the best. Did you is it true that Taft got stuck in his bath? It is a true story. I mean, it's a story that's true enough that it can be told again. He he weighed about 300 pounds. Or, you know what? There's a children's book that's probably not true, which is adorable. However, my grandchildren loved it. Oh, that's a children's book. Okay. Yeah, that's a children. No, but there's a story that's real that he had a tub. There's a picture of him in a tub right. being made by four workmen. Oh, no, I've read it. You've read the children's book. I didn't realize book, it was a children's book, though. I thought it was. <laughs> well, they explode yes. him finally out of the tub. That's right. And you may remember. Yep. And then he's like Ferdinand, the, you know, with the flowers. With he's the fl sitting exactly. with nothing much on on the grass. Yes. So you do remember these things you read. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. Doris, we can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Uh, we got to uh, rehash some old ground. And um, uh, thank you for being forthright. I really appreciate it. And, and like I said, I... I had a ring in a box ready for it. I was going to go down to a knee. Um, 
Oh my God. I was going to ask your father permission. Uh, I even had a, a, a Brooklyn Dodgers hat I was going to wear. Um, oh my God. And, and this is now a vision that will be in my head. Yes. And so, that's a good thing, right? We can both imagine what might've been. That's what historians do all the time. We try to think what might've been if somebody had made a different decision or just, somebody had died and somebody had lived. So just think about the both of us living in a one bedroom apartment, just screaming at each other, throwing plates against the wall. That's but romantic I, to you? Well, it's, it's exciting. It's yeah. like, who's afraid of a Virginia Woolf? Right. Oh, see, look, he's, he's throwing these literary yeah. analogies. You see, he's going to surprise me. Who is afraid of Virginia Woolf? Not me. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> what Not by fun. Long shot. What fun to talk to you again. It's really, it, it's, it's great really great. to catch up, Doris. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, the one thing that I think we need more than anything today is humor among one of our leaders. I mean, a Abraham Lincoln had it, and, and, and that's why we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. You know, somebody yelled at him one point, you, you are two-faced, Mr. Lincoln, in a debate. And he yelled back, if I had two faces, do you think I'd have this face? I mean, that's what we need. Right, because he was ugly. These people take themselves. Yes. He was not ugly. Ah, he was I, so ugly. No, oh no, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I was on John Stewart one night, or right. Colbert. I think it was Stewart first. And I mentioned when the book first came out, Team of Rivals, that I, there's a picture of Lincoln before his beard right. and his hair is kind of wild and he looks really rugged. And I said, he's really sexy. I've never been mm -hmm. able to live that down. That's not your first thought about Abraham Lincoln. But look, then when Daniel Day-Lewis became Abraham Lincoln, I was right. And I got to know him and he became my friend and I half fell in love with him like I was in love with Lincoln. And you can't say he's ugly no. and he's Lincoln, Ooh, right? Hottest politician though. Oh. I, I say Bobby Kennedy. Oh, Bobby Kennedy. Well, I, he, he was pretty extraordinary. I say Tip O'Neill. Oh, you see, you like that old-fashioned type. I'll take Tip O'Neill. He's like an FDR figure. But my husband was actually with Bobby when he died. He oh. was very close friends with oh, Bobby. God. And um, I, I'm looking at it, weirdly, as we're speaking, I'm looking at a picture. My husband died a year ago, and he was the most extraordinary character. He worked for JFK, LBJ, oh, God, wow. McCarthy, Bobby Kennedy. And he worked on the Ripples of Hope speech, which is on Bobby's grave. Wow. He did the We Shall Overcome speech for LBJ. Anyway, I'm, I'm looking at a picture as we're talking of Bobby and my husband in the 1968 campaign as they're in California right before he died. Oh, wow. And, and Bobby's looking pretty good, as you might say. Uh, no, he was an amazing character. He would have been, I think, a really good president because he'd been through so much. All presidents that are great, in my judgment, have gone through adversity. I mean, Lincoln had a near suicidal depression. Right. Franklin Roosevelt absolutely lost his power to walk with his polio. Teddy Roosevelt lost his wife and mother on the same day in the same house. And they all became better leaders. And of course, Trump got bone spurs. He got bone spurs. Yes, that, that, right that was it. Yeah. yeah, that changed everything. And then they went away. Yeah. Disappeared. <laughs> right on so. time. Just exactly on time. Well, he had a sense of timing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Doris, thanks again. Great to catch up with you. Such an honor. Truly. Yeah, what great fun for me, too. I'm really glad we could do this. I'll see you guys soon. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. Doris Kearns Goodwin, everyone, on the Ron Burgundy Podcast. We'll be right back after this. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back on the Ron Burgundy podcast with my final thoughts. Uh, 
Carolina. Wow. Yeah. Doris. That was amazing. Was a real gossip, don't you think? I, what do you mean? I mean, all that tea she just spilled about her old boss, Lyndon, and that that guy, FBI. No, it's FGR. So, I mean, yeah. She, I know. She's a historian. But, geez. I was like, is any of that your business? <laughs> she's going through people's letters, for cripes sake. Well, you know what? That brings up a really interesting point. I mean, what are we allowed to access as historians? Accurate portrayal of history is so important, but should our leaders have a right to privacy? Uh, certainly their families do, but what about posthumously? I think that's all for today, folks. Okay. I'm tired, and frankly, I'm, uh, I'm missing a friend, Ruth. Ruth, if you're listening, I know you are. Ruth Bader Ginsburg listens to our podcast. I love you. Please just text me back. Just one emoji will suffice. A, a kissy face or, or the two pink hearts. I'll see you at breakfast. And, and you know what, Ruth, if you're going to ignore me, that's fine. Because I think Doris and I got it back on track today. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, Ruth, don't wait too long. Because I got good old uh, DKG hot back on my trail. So... Uh, Doris, thanks again. It was great to reconnect, and who knows, maybe we, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to wait by the phone for either one of you, because I got things to do. Okay. All right? Yeah. This is Ron Burgundy, a.k.a. Lyndon Baines Johnson, signing off one more time for the Ron Burgundy Podcast. The Ron Burgundy Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and Funny or Die. I'm Ron Burgundy, the host, writer, and executive producer. Carolina Barlow is my co-host, writer, and producer. Our producers are Jack O'Brien, Nick Stumpf, Miles Gray, and Whitney Hodak. Our executive producer is Mike Farrell. Our consulting producer is Andrew Steele. Our coordinating producer is Colin McDougall. Our associate producers are Anna Hosnier and Sophie Lichterman. Our writer is Jake Fogelnest. Our production coordinator is Hannah Jacobson. This episode was engineered, mixed, and edited by Nick Stump. Until next time, this is Ron Bergen. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. 
our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.